All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to I-Town Church in part one of this new series called Tool Time. I want to take just a minute to say hello to our church family up in Bluffton and, of course, all of you watching live online, everybody out in the lobby here at Olson Farms who couldn't get into the room. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome to each other today. So great to have all of you with us. And yes, I used to love the show Home Improvement. Any Home Improvement fans in the house? Like growing up in the 90s? Yeah. One of the best comedies of all time. And if you're unfamiliar with the show Home Improvement, it was about this guy called Tim the Toolman Taylor. They had a show within the show. So Home Improvement was the show that we watched, and yet he was the host of a show within that show called Tool Time. And he always had great power tools. He had his trusty assistant, Al Borland, and it was just an amazing show about raising three young boys and navigating life. A lot of great relationship principles, actually, that they would touch on throughout that comedy series. But we believe relationships are so significant and important in your life. We're in the month of February now, and it's important that we talk about them so that we can be healthy in life. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about different types of relationships in life. And of course, I have some power tools. We'll have different power tools every single week throughout this series. We'll get to that in just a minute for our illustration today. Here's where we're going for the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how to find that special someone. If you're in that season of singleness, looking for the perfect someone, we're going to touch on that next weekend. Of course, there'll be lots of great relationship principles for all of us, no matter what season of life you are in. And then week three, we're going to talk about marriage. Week four, we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to get all up in your business in every area of your life. The Bible has something to say about all of these different relationships. The truth is, the reason why our relationships are falling apart is because we're doing it the world's way, which is the wrong way. God has a way of viewing our relationships. I believe we're going to give you some good and practical tools. We're going to start this weekend with the foundation of all of our relationships, and that's Friendship. I can't wait to talk to you about that. First, our theme verse, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. The reality is your life is being shaped by the company that you keep. Whoever you're surrounding yourself with is influencing the way you view the world and the way you make decisions. We need to be aware of that. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Show me your friends I'll show you your future, especially young people, listen to me. The people that you're hanging around are impacting directly your life. That's why I love the show, Tool Time, or Home Improvement, because Tim the Toolman Taylor had lots of great relationships, like his trusty sidekick, Al. He had, of course, his wife, Jill, that was always a voice of reason. He had his neighbor, remember Wilson? You can never see. All these people that were voices in his life, you got to have some good voices in your life. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to go to one of my favorite uh, characters in Scripture. His name is Moses, and most of you have heard of him before. In Acts chapter 7, we get kind of a recap of his life, and then in Exodus chapter 2, we have the story where he made several bad decisions. We're going to work through that and see the negative impact relationships can have on our lives, and then we're going to go to Exodus chapter 4 and see how God helped him fix it, all right? In Acts chapter 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 20. Now, the time that this is speaking about, it says, at that time Moses was born. What it's speaking about is this time of genocide. The nation of Israel is multiplying, living in Egypt. Pharaoh has made them slaves. He's intimidated by the power that they could have to overthrow the Egyptian government. Of course, we talked last week about Joseph, who was the reason why they all, as the nation of Israel, ended up in Egypt in the first place, because God 
took him there to preside over seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so now here Pharaoh is turning against God's people. He's nervous about uh, the, the growing population and he has ordered that every baby boy be killed. And so his parents tried to hide him and they were able to keep him for three months. But they got to this point that they had to abandon him. So Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. If you go to study the story, of course, it's where they put him in the basket of reeds and float him down the Nile River. Now, Moses, verse 22, says he was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was raised uh, with power in speech and in action. He was a very powerful man. Verse 23 goes on to say, but one day he went out at 40 years old to visit his relatives, the people of Israel, and he saw this Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed that his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. So the next day, he goes out to visit him again. He sees these two guys fighting. He tries to be a peacemaker. Men, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? And the man who is in the wrong pushed him aside. He said, who made you ruler and judge over us? He asked, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses, verse 29, freaks out. And he flees the country and runs to the land of Midian. So here we see several decisions Moses makes. We see several relationships in Moses' life that are shaping him. And I think there's a lot of truth that we can pull out that can probably touch every person here today. Because the truth is, when God wants to bless your life, he sends a relationship. We said this last week. When the devil wants to destroy your life, he sends you a relationship. And so we see the negative impacts first of the relationships on Moses' life. Now, let's go to Exodus 2, the account there, to pull out this first truth. In verse 11, it says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard that they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw this Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews, and after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. So let's get a picture of what's happening. Moses goes out. He's not surrounded by any friends. There's no accountability. There's no relationship present. In fact, he's looking around to be sure of it. Can I just pause for a minute and remind everybody, anything that you would do in your life that begins with, (laughs) probably a bad idea, probably something you shouldn't be doing in the first place, but that's how it started for Moses. Let me make sure there's no safety in accountability. Let's make sure there's no one here watching what I'm doing because then no one will know. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. When we have no relationships, we're in danger. If you're in a place of isolation, you're in danger. First Peter chapter 5 actually says it this way in verse 8, that we should be alert and of sober mind because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I read this verse often because there's so much truth here that I think we constantly need to be reminded of. The first thing is that there is an enemy of your soul. I hope you're aware of that. There's no reason to be intimidated or nervous about it because he is a defeated foe. But at the same time, the reason why you fight in your marriage, the reason why your kids act like the devil, the reason why your finances turn sideways from time to time, the reason why your car breaks down is not because of a bunch of coincidences. It's because you're a follower of Christ and there is an enemy of your soul that is trying to destroy your peace, your life, your joy. He's trying to take everything from you. You need to know that there is an enemy that is against you and his desire is to devour you. He wants to ruin everything that is good 
in your life. And that's true for every single one of us. Just as God has a plan for your life, so too does the enemy of your soul. The devil is trying actively to take you out. And the way that he works is as a roaring lion. I love that analogy because it tells us very clearly about how he attacks. You don't have to be a National Geographic expert to know. Lions never attack the herd. They always wait until one animal gets off by itself. And when that animal gets in a place of isolation, that's when it gets attacked. That's when the pressure comes. And we can see it in Scripture. Even Jesus himself, the Bible tells us, fasted and prayed for 40 days when the devil tempted him. And the Bible says that was the opportune time. So I just want you to know, if there was an opportunity where Jesus was vulnerable in a place of isolation, you too and I too are vulnerable when we are in a place of isolation. When you are alone is a dangerous place to be. Proverbs 15, says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, I brought today a circular saw and all the tools that we will feature are made by the DeWalt Company because this is the best tool manufacturer that exists on planet Earth. Can I get an amen in God's house? It's just like, you cheer for Michael Jordan, you use DeWalt tools, it just is what it is, all right? I can see there's a little resistance in the room. I don't know. This, it is at least assembled in America. I know it's not all American made. It's foreign parts. But come on, at least they have some plants here in America. But I just love the sound. Isn't that just like, right? This is like, just good. Feels a little sense of danger, you know? Like you can get some work done. I love a good saw, a good circular saw. And this is a great one. And, uh, and I just have to tell you, I love projects. I love doing things around the house. I'm not real great at craftsmanship. In fact, I floated some of the ideas of the series to Kate, and she was like, you have to work on your craftsmanship if there's something that's going to happen on the stage, because sometimes it's a little shoddy. But she has lots of vision. Man, she, she dreams like you would not believe, and so the constant conversation at our house is, baby, they're all load-bearing. Every wall is necessary. Can't, can't move any of them. I don't, can't explain why exactly, but it's true. I talked to an architect person, and they said it. So normally, I'm reserved to like projects in the garage, building shelves, you know, simple things that no one will ever actually see. But uh, I also have to tell you, probably you would guess this, I'm not big on like safety goggles. I don't get like people to come over and help. Like I build large shelves and I'll build half of it and then kind of put it up against the wall and put a screw in it to hold it for a second so I can build the other legs. You know what I'm saying? Like you just kind of make it work. And so I don't have goggles, I don't own sawhorses, and if you want to complain about that, don't send me an email because I'm not going to read it, all right? <laughs> Just is what it is. But the truth is, when you're doing woodworking like this alone, there's a few things you can do, but you can't do them well, and there's always a bit of risk involved, right? This is not the best way to cut a board. Y'all know that, right? You can do it, like, it can be done. Yep, happens every time. You just got to flip it over. Come on now. There we go. How about that? Come on. Now look. That is not great craftsmanship, all right? I acknowledge the fact that that's, we probably ought to trim that up a little bit. But, you know, we can be, there we go. So much better. Now look, still not square. I get it. But. It worked, 
And some of you are making decisions like this. You're living your life all by yourself, and you're going, it's not the best decision, but it'll get me by. It's not really hurting me that bad. It'll be okay. But eventually, you're going to lose a finger. Eventually, something bad is going to happen. I can speak from experience. I have come into the house with many a bloody finger. Praise the Lord. Still got all 10 of them. Lots of scars and probably needed more stitches than I've had, but I just believe a little Neosporin and a splint for a few weeks, you'll be fine. It's going to be all right. But the truth is, eventually it catches up with you, and that's the way a lot of us are living our lives. We're trying to do things all by ourselves, and it's pretty dangerous. Now, verse 22, back to Acts chapter 7, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. So he assumed, because of this anointing on his life, that everyone would see it. He thought that they would realize God had sent him to rescue them. But guess what? They didn't see it. And so when he went out to visit them, he saw these guys fighting and tries to step in and be the deliverer God's called him to be and says, why are you fighting each other? But guess what happened? They said, who made you ruler and judge over us? You're just gonna murder us like you did that Egyptian yesterday. And Moses gets disoriented and thinks now everyone is against him and he flees the country, flees his purpose, flees his calling because in the wrong relationships, jot it down, we can get devalued. Some of us believe that people are gonna see automatically the call of God on our lives, the gift that God has given us, the inspiration we have in our hearts. But then what happens to many of us is that we surround ourselves with the wrong voices, the wrong people, and they don't see that gift. They don't see that call. And they tell you things like, why do you think you're good enough to change that? Why do you think you're smart enough to start that company? Why do you think you would ever have a marriage that's gonna last? Why do you think you're strong enough to kick that addiction? You're not made for more. You're average like the rest of us. You're just like everybody else. You're not called to be a leader. There's no reason why anyone would ever follow you. And that's what happened to Moses. He just assumed that these people would realize that God had sent him. Now, this is significant because Acts gives some light that we don't get from Exodus 2, that Moses was aware that God had spoken to him. There had been a moment of revival, at least in Moses' heart, of some divine direction. Like he feels inspired by God to be a deliverer. And he just assumed everyone else would see it. But of course, in verse 27, this man pushes against him and says, who made you ruler and judge over us? The answer is God. God had called him to be the deliverer and to be the judge. God had called him into that role, but guess what? He surrounded himself with the wrong people who didn't see it, and because they didn't see it, he stopped seeing it. Instead of him having confidence to say, look, I understand that you might not like to have leadership in your life because nobody likes it. When someone leads, everybody loves the idea of leadership until someone tries to lead them. <laughs> Y'all know that's true. Like, man, I want, Lord, break me, mold me, shape me, change me, bring some leaders into my life to help me grow. And then a mentor says, hey, you need to correct that attitude, and you're not doing that right, and these decisions are wrong. You're like, the whole world is against me, and people hate me, and why are you attacking me? So Moses tries to lead these people and they're rejecting his leadership and instead of Moses standing strong and saying, this is God's call for my life, he's like, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not called. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a part of this. 
Because we need to understand 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. What they're doing is they're making him question the call of God on his life and ultimately his relationship with God. And we need to understand that that relationship is what gives us power. So what happens is people get us to unplug because Acts chapter one and verse eight says the power that we have comes from our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we get the wrong relationships in our life and people are saying, what makes you think you're made for more? What makes you think God called you? And then all of a sudden we start questioning the hand of God, the call of God, the voice of God. And guess what? While Moses was raised in the palace, educated the way he needed to be, positioned for such a time as this as a leader, he had no power. He didn't have the confidence to be who God had called him to be because he starts to question the voice of God, the hand of God in his own life. And some of you have the equipment, you have the ability to be who God's called you to be, but you got the wrong voices in your life and it's making you question your relationship with the Lord and you have no power. You have no power to be who God has called you to be because relationships are radically impacting who you are. The third group that we have to deal with in Moses' journey is the most painful and the most complex and that's his family. In fact, I never looked at his life through this lens until I believe the Holy Spirit gave me some revelation about it this week. If we go back to our text in Acts chapter seven and verse 20, it says, at the time of all this chaos, Moses was born and his parents did the right thing in saving his life, but they could only keep him for a certain amount of time. And so eventually they had to abandon him and Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. I want you to pause for a minute because I want you to know that I have really learned a lot in this area over the last couple of years as we have fostered in our family because being raised by my own biological parents, I never understood and probably never will fully understand in my own life what it's like to be given up for adoption. I don't think any of us that are raised by biological parents, whether it's one parent or two, if you were raised by the parents who birthed you, can we understand the whole and the abandonment a child experiences. Now I'm not saying that if you're adopted today that God can't restore, that God can't heal, that God doesn't love you. Look at Moses, his life was extraordinary and amazing and you too will be extraordinary and amazing by the power of God in your life. While at the same time we have to acknowledge that there's an abandonment wound, whether it's for the good or for the worse, there's an issue there that has to be addressed and settled. I believe this abandonment issue plays out many times in Moses' life, this foundation that he's supposed to have that's just not there. And it's one of the reasons I think at 40 that he goes on a journey of where am I from and who are my people and what does that world look like? Every child that's raised in an adoptive home has to go on that journey of why did my parents give me up and what is their story and who are they and can I find them and connect with them? Why? Because it's a natural longing in our hearts to understand. It forms our identity and our security and our confidence. And so here is Moses wrestling through these things where yes, he was given up at three months and then if you know the story, he was put back with his mother but the Bible tells us that he went back and was raised in the palace after he was weaned which happened probably between two and three years old. And psychologists tell us our earliest memories, just impressions come at two and a half. So there's very little of his childhood that he would have remembered, probably not even remembered his mother and father, his birth parents. So he's got this issue. 
Who are my parents and why did they give me up and why does my life look this way? And then to pile on top of that in verse 14, Moses was afraid after he'd made this mistake of murdering the Egyptian. He says, everyone knows what I did. And Exodus 2.15 tells us, and sure enough, Pharaoh heard. Now pause for a minute. Remember, Pharaoh's daughter raised him as her own son. This is his adopted grandfather. This is family. Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. He didn't sit down and go, hey, buddy, I've known you your whole life. You're 40. Let's talk about this. What's going on? What happened to you? Tell me about the moment. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I need to understand. Why, murder's never right, but help me understand this situation. And why did you act this? No, there's no conversation. There's no foundation of relationship. He just immediately turned on him. And so Moses had to run for his life to the land of Midian, giving up everything that he knew, what dysfunctional life he had, the call of God that he felt. All of it's gone. Now he's living in Midian. And I just want you to acknowledge the fact for many of us, it's a healthy part of your relational journey, that the people who are supposed to hold you safe, the people oftentimes that are supposed to give you a solid foundation, can oftentimes be the source of the greatest pain that you'll experience in life. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. In family relationships, we can get damaged. It's not God's best, but we live in a broken world with people that are broken. And I just want you to know, this is not an uncommon story, even in scripture. Last weekend, we talked about Joseph. Joseph rose to power, his second command in Egypt, but the only reason why he got there is because his family was jealous of him, and his brothers tried, they, they planned to kill him, but couldn't go through with it, so they sold him into slavery after they threw him in a pit. Betrayed by the people that should have supported him. You Think about David. David was anointed as the second king over Israel. But that process was gruesome and horrible. You know why? Because when we find David, the prophet comes to Jesse's house, David's father, and he says, one of your sons is to be the next king over Israel. Would you line your sons up and let me anoint the next one? The Holy Spirit will show me. God's Spirit will show me which one is next, which one to anoint. Jesse lines up all his sons, and Samuel goes through each one of them and realizes that this, there isn't a king here. Where is, you have more children, like I don't understand. And Jesse says, oh, I got this kid, David, he's out watching the sheep. Now to us, that's already pretty devastating. But you have to factor in the fact that in that culture, the shepherd was the lowliest job that you could occupy, and it was normally held by a servant or a slave of the household. It was never given to a son. So basically, Jesse's father had already told David, or Jesse's that David's father had already told David, you're worse than dirt. I don't see you as a son. You're completely worthless to me. So I'm gonna send you out to this menial job and forget about you on the backside of a hill. So not only is David processing that, but then he's arriving understanding everyone else has been passed over and I'm the last ditch effort. My father's embarrassed of me, didn't even call me into the family meeting to see if I could be the next king. And it's not like he healed from that wound. It's likely that that pain from his father is what made him lash out with all of his infidelity with Bathsheba and eventually killing Bathsheba's husband. And guess what? His son Solomon is born into conflict and controversy and chaos. And Solomon's life is a poster child of an overachiever who never felt validated. 
He built cities and aqueducts and gardens and he explored all of these things. He became extraordinary, not because he was just an extraordinary person, but because he was damaged by his father and never felt validated in life. You see how Jesse passed it to David who passed it to Solomon and the dysfunction continued for generations. Jesus wasn't immune to it. Jesus was preaching in his earthly ministry and his family showed up and tried to carry him out of the room and apologize to people. He's crazy. He thinks he's the son of God. And he was. Look, I know that they were probably jealous of him. It's gotta be annoying to be raised with someone who's perfect. I just imagine Mary's upset. Who left the dishes in the sink again? And the kids are all like, well, we know it ain't Jesus. Lord have mercy. Dude's perfect. So this is the picture I want you to see. For many of us, we've got this stability in life that we think is going to support us. Can you give it up for Al Borland, everybody? <laughs> Trusty assistant. So we've got this stability of family, and now we're going to do it right. We're going to build it right, so we're going to do this together. Adam, can you hold that for me down there and just hold that, hold that steady? <laughs> Jerk. That's what our family does to many of us. In the midst of, hey, can you be a support to me? Hey, can you play the role God's called you to play? Hey, can you call out greatness on the inside of me? Can you help me develop confidence? Can you help me understand how to have relationships? Can you help me be the person God's called me to be? Instead of being that stability and support for you, your family cut your legs out from underneath of you and created pain and chaos that added to all of the issues you're already trying to navigate. We have to understand our relational world. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We find this guy, Moses, who is powerful in speech and indeed is settling himself now for being a shepherd, wandering in the desert in Midian, having given up on the call of God for his life. The thing that's so beautiful about that is that in Exodus chapter three, God shows up again. Now, keep in mind, it's 40 years after all of this goes down. At 40 years old, he messes up his life, and there's nothing until he turns 80. Can you imagine the distance, the time, all the thoughts that Moses had to wrestle with until one day God appears to him again because it's never too late to become who you might have been. I'm just telling you today, it doesn't matter if you've made mistakes in your past. Doesn't matter what people try to take you out. Doesn't matter what your family has done to you. God still sees a deliverer on the inside of you. And he wants to come and call greatness out of you. And I'm just telling you, it's gonna come through a relationship. So God appears to Moses and says, hey, it's time for you to step back into that calling. Remember that whole life you gave up on? The confusing part is he did it out of a bush. A burning, non-burning, burning bush. Moses is arguing with this bush. Can you imagine? You ever read scripture and understand how insane this book is? These people's stories? Like imagine Moses going home and being like, honey, I know we've kind of created this new life. And remember in my past, we talked about a little bit in Egypt and kind of the dysfunctional family thing and all that stuff. Well, God told me to go back. We have to pack up everything and go back. Really, honey? How do you know? I was out with the sheep today and I had this conversation with this ficus. It was burning, but it wasn't burning. The non-burning, burning, non-burning non ficus spoke to me and I think it was God. Can you imagine? She's probably like, were you smoking the ficus? What, is, what are you saying? This is inc incredible. 
So here this man is arguing with a bush. And the bush is the Lord. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? The one thing that changes life is a relationship. Now think about this. Moses was too young to have known Aaron when he lived at home. Aaron was three years older, the Bible tells us, than, than Moses was, which is why he incidentally survived, because he was born before the genocide began. And so Aaron, different from Moses, was raised in a Hebrew home with both parents. Aaron didn't have some of the issues that Moses had, which I wonder, just in my holy imagination, because this is the first time Aaron's name even comes up in Scripture, if Moses was like, I have a brother? God says, you have a brother, Aaron the Levite. I know, the Bible goes on to say, he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. So here we have three simple principles as we close today about that relationship in your life, that Aaron relationship that can make all the difference in your world because the only thing that changed in Moses' life from being insecure and hiding from the call of God to being the deliverer that set an entire nation free was Aaron. Number one, they are gifted in areas that you are not. They are gifted in areas that you are not. Now, this is fascinating to me. In Acts chapter seven, we read this earlier, it says in his early life that he was powerful in both speech and in action. I want you to see what the devil will do to you in this life if you're not careful. In verse 10 of Exodus 4, as Moses is arguing with the burning bush, he pleads to the Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that when he was a young man, he was powerful in speech and action. But look at his confidence. In this moment, as he's arguing with the bush, he's saying, I've always been tongue-tied. I can't speak. I, I stutter when I talk. And I've always been that way. Man, I'm just telling you, it's amazing the toxic lies that the devil would spew over you and try to get you to believe. You'll never be free. You'll never be talented. You've never been good at this. You've never had influence. You've never been able to do what God's called you to do. And God says, it's okay, Moses. I'll bring Aaron into your life, and I know he can speak well. I just want you to know God is okay with supplementing your weaknesses. In fact, I believe that he has made us good at just a few things so we would realize how much we need each other. And we need to be okay with that because Moses could have said, well, if I'm not the speaker, I can't be the leader. Because that's kind of how we feel in today's culture, which is nonsense. It's ridiculous. God said, I'm gonna bring somebody into your life that will supplement your weaknesses. Ephesians 4 says it this way, God makes the whole body fit together perfectly and as each part does its own special work, we all help each other grow so that the body of Christ is healthy and growing and full of love. So you need to know that you're not good at everything and God's okay with that and so are we. You have your own special work. There is a lane for you to run in and you need to understand what it is. The two greatest days of your life are the day you're born and the day that you find out why. But so many people in American church or in just American culture in general have no idea what makes you great. You have no idea what makes you special. And that's why our relationships and our marriages are falling apart because they're supposed to supplement our weaknesses. We don't even know what our weaknesses are because we're so blind to ourselves. We don't know what our gifts are. 
That's why we do that thing called the grow plan. It's not so we can take up time and feed you extra food and put an announcement every week in the thing. It's because we're passionate about helping you figure out why are you alive? It takes all of us. Some of us have tasks. Some of us love people. Some of us have skills in different areas that, that each and every one of us need. We're all great at something. Moses needed Aaron and Aaron needed Moses. They needed each other to be successful. The second thing about these relationships that we see from Aaron is that they're moving in the same direction. You gotta have people that are moving, they're flowing in the same vein, the same spirit, the same philosophy. You gotta be living your life with people that are moving their families, their career, their marriages in the same direction that you're moving. So I love this phrase, he says, I know not only can Aaron speak well, but he's already on his way to meet you. What a fascinating thought that before the Lord ever set a bush on fire, he spoke to Aaron. Hopefully that's refreshing to you today for those of you that are feeling isolated and alone, longing for friendship. For those of you surrounded by the wrong voices in life, for those of you that have been damaged by the abuse of family members, you need to know that God not only sees you, but he is already orchestrating the events in your life to bring those people across your path that you are gonna need to step into the next season of your life. It's a wonderful thought. And some of you in this room are called to be an errand to somebody. And I just want to say, as we step into this circle semester, don't neglect that voice, that leading of the Holy Spirit that is spurring you to open your home or to use that passion to create a group because God's probably trying to do something in someone's life that desperately needs you. God is speaking to you before he speaks to them. And you could be the key to their destiny because there's a relationship they need that's going to come to that group. It takes every one of us doing our part. Go to the red tent, find out about leader training because we need you. The body of Christ needs you. There are people isolated today that need you and you could be the Aaron to someone's Moses. You could be the key to an entire nation being set free because you created the environment, the opportunity. The Bible says it this way in 2 Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with people that are running in the same direction. Find people that are moving your way. Number three, I love this last one. They're happy to be involved in your life. We go back to the text one more time. He says, he's already on his way and he will be glad to see you. Man, I have not lived that long, but I've lived long enough to know that life is too short to live it with miserable people. The Bible mandates that you love everybody, but you don't have to like everybody. Y'all know that, right? That seems like, oh man, that's, that's shaky theological territory. Let me show you to you from Jesus' life, Mark 3. Jesus went on a mountainside. He called to him those he wanted. That means there were those he didn't wanted. <laughs> he was like, come on, you. Yeah, you're fun. Yeah, you're smiling. I like that. No, that whole group over there. Woo, can't handle the gossip. Critical. Nah. Nope. Stay. You stay. You come. Yeah, that'd be great. Not so much. You need to be picky and choosy about the people that you let into your world. They are shaping your destiny. They are changing who you are. They are determining the trajectory of your success in this life. You've got to be picky. Galatians 5, as we close, says, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in the command of loving your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem in the American church. You keep biting and devouring each other. Watch out, you're going to destroy each other. We spend so much time in the name of accountability, 
picking out each other's flaws and faults that we're destroying the body of Christ instead of destroying the gates of hell. Cut those people out of your life. Yes, you need godly correction and godly wisdom and people to hold you accountable. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you gotta get rid of the haters. You gotta figure out the right people that are supposed to be in your life, the people that are willing to sacrifice and willing to love and willing to be with you. You've probably heard the old story of the two guys that get lost in the forest and all of a sudden they hear the cracking of sticks and look up and they see this massive bear in front of them. One guy drops to his knees, he starts to pray, Lord, protect us and keep us safe. The other friend drops down and starts lacing up his tennis shoes. But he looked at him and said, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. His friend said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. How many of you know you gotta cut those people out of your life? You got somebody lacing their tennis shoes up in your life, you need to let them go. That is not a friend. Ecclesiastes says you need somebody that's gonna stick back to back with you and conquer whatever comes your way. Because true relationships in your life, they don't compete, they complement. They're there to be a resource, to be a strength. We all have to do our own special work. And when each of us does what God has called us to do in the spirit of peace and love and joy, guess what it produces? Something beautiful. Rescues a nation. Changes everyone's lives. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray as we close out this service today that God would touch you Maybe you're isolated today and you're in danger of making some poor decisions or maybe you've already made some and you need God to restore you. Others of you, you've got some toxic voices in your life. People that don't believe you've been made for more, they're trying to make you average. I'm gonna pray that God gives you courage to silence their voices. Others of you are here today and you've lived a lifetime carrying the baggage of some type of family wound. The people that were supposed to support you actually abused you, neglected you, abandoned you. The Bible says Jesus is the one who heals brokenhearted people. I want to pray God touches you today. I want to pray for all of us that God begins to bring more air and relationships into our lives. But before we get to all of that, I want you to know the catalyst for it all is our relationship with Jesus. It's the foundation for everything else. The thing that's fascinating to me is how the devil is so good at messing up our relational world because oftentimes it messes up our perspective of all relationships and we typically will push God away as well. Maybe you've never been close to him or maybe because you were wounded by someone you trusted, you pushed him away. And today you would say, I'm far from God. Don't leave here that way. He's the only one that can heal your heart. He's the one that will orchestrate your life. He's the one that gives you the power to be who he's called you to be. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to connect you with Jesus where you're at, if that's you today. At all of our campuses, watching out in the lobby or maybe online at one of the correctional facilities, if that's you, would you put your hand up high to say, Dave, I need Jesus. I need a fresh start today. Come on right now. Just put your hand up high for just a moment all across the room. Yeah. Great job. All right, you can put your hands down. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in this simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. I repent of all my sin. Heal my heart. Change me. Empower me with your spirit. And help me to live this life for you. 
Today I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for the plan that you have for their lives and for the confidence that we can draw from Moses' story that it's never too late to become who you've called us to be. God, I pray today for those that find themselves isolated that you would surround them with great relationships. Protect them. Father, for those that have the toxic voices of others, causing them to believe less of themselves, I pray that you give them the courage and the strength to silence those voices. Give them the clarity to see it, God. For those that have been damaged in family relationships, Lord, I pray that you would bring restoration and healing. Father, for all of us, we thank you that you're already at work bringing those Aaron relationships into our lives. Father, we thank you that when each of us does our own special work, that your church is healthy and vibrant and alive. God, that's what we need so that we can be a light to a world who so desperately needs the touch of Jesus. Thank you for choosing every one of us. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.